This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know the difference between J.J. Watt and guys like us, and I know that should be a rhetorical question, Kyle, okay, and we'll get to where the heck Darren is in a minute. We're talking about J.J. Watt here to open up, and there's never really a right or wrong way to open up the podcast, is there? I think not here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, Paulie Podcast here, Kyle Odegaard there. I, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on the difference between J.J. Watt and a couple of dudes like us. See, I was wondering like, if it would be really short because there's just so many similarities, <laughs> right. including NFL production, right. bank account. I right. mean, I could yeah. go on. Don't make us turn on the lie detector uh, because you'd be buzzered down repeatedly. <laughs> uh, I'll give you one example. We don't even have Wikipedia pages, Paul. One small but telling example is when J.J. Watt, the way he tells it, showed up for day one OTAs and he made a wrong turn. He went into the neighboring sports complex that's on the border here, the north side of Cardinals HQ, the Dignity Health, Arizona Cardinals Training Center, to be quite accurate. So as he said, he turned into the soccer fields. It's a public sports complex, et cetera, and then quickly realized, no, I'm in the wrong driveway, the wrong parking lot. So he spent about 20 seconds or so floundering around out in that auxiliary parking lot before he was directed behind the gate to the premium parking <laughs> Right next to the locker room and the facilities. 20 seconds he spent out in the auxiliary lot where I've spent some 20-plus years in that auxiliary parking lot. So that's the difference, one of many, between yours truly, Pauly Pencilneck, and J.J. Watt. But we will always have those 20 seconds where we've done it, we've accidentally turned into that soccer field lot, and now J.J. Watt has done it. We, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. I mean, I, I'm definitely leaning into the other side of it, Paul, where we have more similarities with J.J. Watt than we do differences. You know what? You're right. J.J. Watt can now relate to us. Exactly. What life would be like if you had to park all the way out in the auxiliary <laughs> lot and you're just begging, waiting for one of the security guys in one of the carts to give you a shuttle ride to the front door. But you're right. We're not lost. We're just uh, we're just like the third or fourth <laughs> tier right. of cars. That's right. That's right. We're, we're tier three permanently not just for covid we're, we're tier three in life so there you go that's a little anecdote off the top i mean you know we could start cardinals underground here with um i don't know fixing the biggest blunder of the off season this is what we call forward tease here kyle okay we could start uh, this edition of cardinals underground with news on what we be- we believe okay i believe i believe to be a future cardinals tight end dot 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 I could start with a Cardinals pro bowler who has replaced Justin Pugh as a pro football focus <laughs> enemy number one. Yeah, We'll get to that. There's no doubt about it. Um, we could talk about QB1 putting the off 
into off season, at least for about 24 hours or so before that was that was shot down. But uh, speaking off, where the heck is Darren, by the way, Kyle? What, what's going on? I mean, a four-day holiday weekend wasn't enough for Darren Urban. He had to continue with the off time. Yeah, speaking of off for off season, he's took some time off. I mean, mm. it, it's much like Darren, always kind of not doing a lot at work and always trying to skate by and go right. take his vacation and yeah. not tell anybody where he's going, just disappears. It's typical Darren where we just need him to work harder. He just doesn't do it enough. Can you confirm or deny whether Darren is actually getting the neck tattoo as we speak? It Was this off time taken? Because he needed A to get the neck tattoo and then B, come to terms with the neck tattoo. Maybe, yeah. maybe he needs one of those wellness coordinators that the Washington football team just hired, you know, for mental health. Maybe Darren has seen one of those wellness coordinators about his neck tattoo. I'm wondering after that, after that game five Suns win, if he got it in excitement oh, and then yeah. he had to take vacation because he that's got right. the laser removal oh, and now right. he needs a week or two off to let all that. I'll let all that fade so nobody knows. That's right. He got the sun's burst on one side, and he got a CP3 for MVP <laughs> yeah. uh, hashtag on the other. So, all right, there you go. It's uh, it's good, you know. Uh, or maybe he's just dealing with some of the mailbag questions, which, yeah. uh, I mean, people, can I just one quick rant? How many uniform questions can we ask Darren in the mailbag? All right, we give him a hard time. But now that it's just all of us here in the trust tree and Darren's not here, Go easy on the uniform questions, okay? It's out of his purview. He has nothing to do with the uniform questions. Is it really that big a deal? It's definitely taking on a life of its own. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I, I mean, I, I look at, like, the the Suns Valley jerseys, and that's cool. And, you know, maybe uh, the Cardinals will have some sort of redesign at some point, but it's not a, a pressing issue in my mind. When it happens, I'll be like, okay, cool, nice jerseys, but I'm not – I have not been submitting those mailbag questions, yeah. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. We don't have time for uniform talk here on Cardinals Underground with all due respect because we have an OTA session to talk about, Kyle. And uh, here we go. How about how about dueling takeaways from, is it phase two, session one of OTAs? Do I have that correct? I can never keep track exactly how they account for which – yeah, I know it's part an, of the OTA schedule we're in. I know it's an OTA. I'm not sure yeah. about the phase and all that, oh, but okay. definitely, definitely some football players on the field. I'll, I'll say that much. Dueling takeaways number one. Here we go. JJ Watt has a lot of kilowatts. Can I go there? Can I say that when he's out there, and not only does he have energy to burn, but he notices during a defensive drill that the tight end, the flex tight end, is just a mere garbage can. And he says, "You know what?" I've played that position before, right. not only in college. I have three receiving touchdowns as a tight end with Houston circa 2014. Uh, the second team is in. No, I'm going out there. I'm going to be the scout team flex tight end, and while I'm doing it, I'm going to be yelling out, you don't want any of this smoke to Byron Murphy. So that was some solid entertainment. Yeah, especially when he runs a go route, which might not be the choice that you <laughs> no. want J.J. Watt to do. But just talking about him overall, like we've all seen superstars come in to Arizona and the Cardinals, and you don't know what you're getting. I mean, some guys can have such – they have such a big following and such a big profile that they can kind of do whatever they want without repercussions when you're that good. But you can tell he's totally bought in. Like you said, he's excited about being here and, and just filling in as the the tight end. He, he was all about it, that, that OTA session, and 
having somebody like that who's one of the big names on your team. I'm not I'm not getting into the leadership talk and I'm not saying leadership is super vital. Are but, you sure now, Kyle? You're sure. But when you have a choice of a superstar either being bought in or just kind of being more on his own and, and here for the paycheck, obviously you want the guy that is is bought in and clearly JJ Watt is that guy. He has talked as much about what he can do for his teammates as what he can do for the team himself directly. Honestly, I mean, there's his game, and and he is very much of the opinion that if you can't play, you can't lead. We know that. But he's making it a point to get to know each and one of the guys on the team, at least the stalwarts, the key personnel, so he knows how to motivate those guys. He knows how to talk to those guys maybe in a key or critical situation and, and try and get more out of those guys. He actually views that as part of his job description. Yeah, he definitely leans into that. And, you know, me personally, I think that's very incremental. Like, I don't think that's going to be the biggest deal when it comes down to it, but it's certainly beneficial to be like that more so than not helping guys out. You know, I I think we both agree the biggest thing with J.J. Watt is – Will he be healthy and will he produce for the Cardinals? And if he gets 15 sacks, whether you're a leader or not, that's a huge deal for this defense. But he's certainly going about it the right way where he puts in the work in the weight room and he's communicating to the younger guys, which is going to help a Richard Lawrence and a Lecky Fotu and a Zach Allen. So from a coach's perspective, I'm sure they love the fact that he's this great player who's also helping out the younger guys. But I, I still feel like it's all going to come down to when we get to the season, what are you going to get from J.J. Watt? Is he going to stay healthy, and is he going to be that game record that he's been so often in his career? That, to me, is still what I'm waiting for. This stuff is nice, maybe the cherry on top, but I'm still looking at the main emphasis of what he does on the field. And don't think it isn't a big deal to guys like Zach Allen. Mm-hmm. Less than two months ago, I did an event with Zach, and he told the audience he still looks at his phone when he gets text messages from J.J. Watt. He's like, wow, okay, he's still semi-starstruck. Because here's a guy who through high school and through Boston College study J.J. Watt's film. That's the player he most wanted to emulate. So it is a big deal to some of the younger defensive linemen. And look, the Cardinals have three key Younger defensive linemen who are the next wave on this roster. Guys, they have to develop in Zach Allen, Alecki Fotu, and Rashard Lawrence. So that's it. But we do agree. The leadership, maybe not so much, but we do agree that the nine route has to come out of J.J. Watt's route tree <laughs> when it comes to tight end. Just do a stop route. Get yourself between the DB and the football, J.J. And what do you think? By the way, we're going to have a prop bet a little bit later. I'm going to give you a quick bonus prop bet with legalized sports gambling. <laughs> Going to be in place, by the way, by the opener in Arizona. Hello, the Craig Grealoos of the world. (laughs) Legalized sports gambling will be in place by September 9th. Prop bet, J.J. Watt will get a reception as a Cardinals tight end this season. Zero or one, the over-under, where are you going? I do not think that's going to happen. No? All I was thinking was that route he just ran in OTA, he would never run that in the game because he's literally always in when the ball's at the one-yard line. He can't physically run more than six or seven yards before he starts no. getting close to the out-of-bounds line. And I I don't see it. I mean, okay. I get, I, he's done it. You're right. It's it's not like it's it's not like Lecky Fotu where people were talking about doing it with him or some other guys. J.J. Watt is legitimately someone who's done it in the NFL, but I think – at this point in his career, with as much as you want him to do 
defensive stuff. I'd I'd be surprised, but you're right. They're thin at tight end, so maybe maybe that's the plan. He's your third tight end. By the way, that's foreshadowing. We'll talk about what the Cardinals plan to do when it comes to depth at tight end a little bit later in this episode of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And let's hope it's not J.J. Watt. That's yeah. the answer on the back end of the tight end room, and he has to go uh, both ways. All right, uh, takeaways, Kyle, what do you got? To me, I think we got to look at, Kyler Murray there's just been some chatter about him and kind of goofy chatter about he's been in Dallas and should he have been in Arizona and that's why I asked Cliff Cliff Kingsbury on Wednesday if it if it bothered him that he was working out in Dallas and he he said it didn't because like we've seen it's a unique offseason where there are these negotiations between the players association and the coaches and the teams about how to work this out and the Cardinals uh, came to a compromise clearly with the players where they were going to show up for these OTAs and have a condensed schedule, but the plan always sounded like it was going to be come to these OTAs and then go to minicamp, and that's going to be our abbreviated condensed offseason. And Kyler Murray was here when he was supposed to be here, and he was on that field, and he's been training in Dallas, and he's been doing the virtual meetings, so kind of much ado about nothing in in my mind. And the thing that caught my eye was the fact that Cliff Kingsbury said that Kyler Murray has a nice mastery of the offense now. He knows it in and out, so you need to get out there and show it, and it's a little bit different when you're in the game and you're reading defenses, but if Kyler Murray does take that next step mentally and gets to the point where he has a true mastery of the offensive system, that's obviously great news for the Cardinals because as we've talked about a lot, the passing game is such a key to this offense where his, it hasn't quite been unlocked yet. And if they can get to that point and be an above-average passing attack, I think clearly they're always going to be good at running and, and bring those two things together. Finally, this offense can really hit its stride. Because the day before the Cardinals OTA and the appearance of Kyla Murray, you had Albert Breer, SI.com, writing, uh, and I quote, I think it was interesting to hear this week that Kyla Murray hasn't been in the Cardinals offseason program to this point. Although, as later pointed out by someone else, well, he's been in all the virtual meetings, and there have been plenty of guys who haven't been there in person at NFL headquarters across the league. So it's not like he's been the exception. It's been more the norm. And honestly, when an A.J. Green is in spot of the Cardinals OTA, but guess what? Kyler Murray has had significant time with A.J. Green working out the two of them in Dallas, then they are getting meaningful reps. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, if Kyler Murray is here, but – he doesn't have his top four or five wide receivers, and I'm not saying they were or weren't here previously, but if if they're not all in this group of three or four or five together, I think that matters because you're trying to get a rhythm with the guys you're going to be throwing to. So as much as Kyler Murray could maybe benefit from throwing to the seventh and eighth and ninth wide receivers or the rookie wide receivers, I think the bigger thing is continuing the chemistry with DeAndre Hopkins, getting on board with A.J. Green and Rondale Moore, continuing it with Christian Kirk. like Those are the big four to me where you want to make it work, and and that's what they're going to be trying to do these next couple weeks is really fine-tune that as much as you can, at least get on some semblance of the same page and then hit the ground running in training camp. Did you see, by the way, within the last week, Next Gen Stats came out with their most explosive ball carrier metric. This is predicated on three criteria a minimum of 100 carries in 2020, at least 20 carries of 10-plus yards, and then the total number and percentage of 15-plus mile-per-hour runs. They're actually employing miles per hour as part of the most explosive ball carrier 
next gen stat and they gave the top 10 and guess what all these guys are on the Cardinals' schedule, the guys I'm about to name. Number nine, Daryl Henderson of the Rams. Number eight, Jonathan Taylor of the Colts. Number seven, Alvin Kamara. Okay, the preseason. Number six, Nick Chubb of the Browns. Number five, Dalvin Cook of the Vikings. Number three, Derrick Henry of the Titans. Uh, Lamar Jackson, by the way, is number two. Cardinals not playing Baltimore this year. And number one, the most explosive ball carrier in the NFL, according to Next Gen Stats 2020, was Kyler Murray. Really? I didn't see that. And... I just looked at that, and I'm like, and so once again, they say by breaking 15-mile-per-hour runs, uh, and he did that 94 times, and that was the most of all ball carriers. Think of how many more carries yeah. running backs received than Akila Murray. And so, in fact, it says here it was the highest rate of 15-plus-mile-per-hour runs in the entire league by far at nearly 71% of his carries. To play devil's advocate here, I think he naturally is in more space than running backs. I mean, if, if they get the ball between the tackles, it's hard to hit 15 miles an hour. Even if you get a six, seven-yard gain, you're not really hitting full speed. And if they're counting runs as Kyler Murray scrambles, he's kind of getting going and has some room. And even if it's a three-yard run going sideways, he can hit that speed. So I'm not sure if that's a completely – accurate portrayal of him compared to elite running backs but it just goes to show that he's in that discussion for sure and we've seen the way he can stop and start and get up to that speed quickly so yeah I mean that's what that's why we always talk about the floor of Kyler Murray that it's going to be so high because he has this element to his game and now we're just wondering how high is the ceiling because even if he's a below average passer, he's always going to be pretty good because he's going to give you five, five and a half yards per carry and defenses have to respect that. And now it's all about in year three where it's legitimately like a lot of guys can reach their peak in years three or four. Can Kyler Murray get there? And if so, what is his peak? Where where can he get as a passer? That to me is the biggest question mark of anything going into 2021 what does he look like at his best throwing the ball? Have we seen it? Is he is he maybe a top 12, top 15 passer? Is that a ceiling? Or does he have more left in the tank? And and that, to me, is what we're going to see this year. Because, honestly, is Kyler Murray running the ball if he doesn't have space? I mean, 90% right. of the time. How many design runs are there truly, even when they do call some of those RPOs? He has an option. Right. So almost 100% of the time, he's only running the ball and keeping it when he sees space, yeah. which enables him to get to 15-plus miles per hour, as opposed to a running back who's going to hit that A-gap whether it's blocked or not. But how many how many quarterbacks can even run 15 miles an hour? I don't know if all of them <laughs> can true. even get to that with That's nobody true. on the field. That's so, true. No offense, Tom Brady. Yeah, 1.5. <laughs> Throw a decimal point in there on Tom Brady. By the way, speaking of numbers, here's my second takeaway. Just the numbers game out there. We had a chance to watch the OTA uh, 21 is Malcolm Butler. Note to self, it's not Patrick Peterson. Who's going to be the first? I'm going to be the first one to screw that up on the air. <laughs> number three is Buda Baker. Number seven is Byron Murphy. Number two, Chase Edmonds. Once again, reaffirms he loves being called Deuce, by the way, Chase Edmonds. Number nine, Isaiah Simmons. And then it was good to see number 23, Robert Alford, out there. Uh, you know, so it's the visuals where you realize, man, there's been a lot of change. Not only the names but the numbers on the roster. And I guess we should give props to the Cardinals media relations as well for including the numbers on this <laughs> roster, yeah. unlike the Houston Texans. Yeah, it's definitely odd seeing single-digit numbers on defense. And 
the one that stood out to me the most was Isaiah Simmons. I don't know if it's because he's kind of in the middle of the defense there, but man, number nine looks so weird. Byron Murphy on the outside seven. I can deal with that. Buddha on the outside of the three, but in the middle of your defense, inside linebacker, number nine, it's going to take me a while yeah. to get used to that one. Yeah. By the way, uh, number 30 made another nice catch that I saw. And once again, I looked at it. Uh, I'm just calling him the opera guy because his name is Andre Bacellia. Oh, yeah. And uh, as opposed to Andrea Bacelli. <laughs> The noted Italian opera singer. So uh, there I you smell go. a segment coming so up in training you, camp. We're going to be doing. And by the way, I got so confused with the numbers at one point that I actually said, "Wait a minute, thirteen? Is that still Christian Kirk?" And I'm like, "Uh, right. I'm like, is that?" I actually crossed myself up thinking Christian Kirk had changed numbers, but no, he had not changed numbers. Number two is Chase Edmonds. For a moment there, I thought it was Christian Kirk. Yeah, and we can we can kind of tell body types in the way, you know, seeing these guys for several years, but you're right. I, I always do a double take now, like, okay, this is who I think it is. Let me double check and, and confirm that who it is. Before, it was just natural. Like, there's there's a guy, that's his number. I know it for sure. Now we're definitely, like, always looking to make sure this guy didn't change numbers. All right, we're rapid-fire takeaways. I'll give you one real quick. When I see DJ Humphreys standing next to Justin Pugh, standing next to Rodney Hudson, I like the looks of the left side of the Cardinals' offensive line. That, For sure. That's, that, that's something to be bullish about right there. Uh, the cornerbacks, the young cornerbacks, let me tell you, seemingly every stinking year the Cardinals play the Seahawks and you're down on the field as the sideline pencil neck and just field level you're like man where did the Seahawks find this plus size cornerback again they're always coming up with a corner who's 6'1 6'2 seemingly and to see the Cardinals with a Tay Gowan out there and a Marco Wilson some corners with size Malcolm Butler is not a small dude it was it's refreshing to see that sort of side now do I have any idea whether these guys could play, whether they're going to make the team. They've made the all-airport team. That's all mm -hmm. they mean. They look the part right now. But in terms of takeaways and what you can glean from an OTA, you're like, okay, I can see why the Cardinals invested draft picks in those corners. Yeah, and when you talk about a six foot one cornerback, obviously the worry is always the fluidity. And playing that position, you have to flip your hips and be able to move laterally very quickly to keep up with these receivers and when you're bigger, that's just harder to do. So can they do that? But you're right. If they can, then having that length is huge when the ball is in your vicinity to get pass breakups, maybe interceptions. I mean, having having a length advantage against a receiver is quite important. So you're right. If, if either of those guys can play well and then maybe get a roll, and obviously that takes away some of the concern about that position, which – legitimately we all still have we're still wondering how that cornerback's going to look and we keep on wondering will they add another veteran to that mix and that's why I think these next couple weeks are important for those young guys I don't think you can tell a bunch about a running game or a pass rusher in OTAs and minicamp but cornerbacks I think you can I mean you can't really press or do all that stuff but you can see if you can shadow a guy in OTAs and minicamp and maybe they'll get their first glimpse of guys like Gowan and Wilson and, and as far as Robert Alford goes the question isn't whether he can play the question is whether he can stay healthy right so the fact that Alford's out there in early June and going seemingly in full through all the drills, to me that's a really good sign that, okay, uh, maybe just maybe you can pencil him into this depth chart. Yeah, and the fact that these injuries haven't been like ligaments or anything. I mean, they're the injuries which were kind of freak accidents, but nothing, nothing like an ACL or an Achilles, something that I feel like can really derail a career. 
I mean, he's at the age and with the injury history where you always have it in the back of your mind, and I don't think anybody's going to feel completely comfortable until you get to the end of the season and he plays it all. But, yeah, right now he's he's healthy and out there practicing, so it's, it's a good thing at this point, and you just kind of have to figure out, are we comfortable enough with this? Are we worried that something's going to pop up and, and then we're going to be in pretty dire straits, or do they feel confident? And that's a big question for Steve Kime because – cornerbacks are pretty expensive if you want a solid corner that's a few million dollars off your cap so so that's kind of the big question in these next couple months and that's actually one of my takeaways was what if times three what if a Robert Alford can stay healthy man what would that do for this defense what if a Jordan Phillips has a full year to match his measurables he is such a mountain of a man and and when they're running some of those, you know, it's the OTAs. But when they're lining up and your two interior defensive linemen are J.J. Watt and Jordan Phillips, yeah, you can daydream a little bit. Jordan Phillips is completely the forgotten man, isn't he? Like, nobody talks about totally. him on that defensive yep. line. And you look at the contract the Cardinals gave him last offseason, and they clearly believed he could be a disruptor on the interior of the defensive line. And now you've got J.J. Watt and you've got Chandler Jones and you've got Marcus Golden you got some legit pass rushers around him, and Jordan Phillips is going to have as many one-on-one opportunities as most guys on the interior in the NFL. So the opportunity is absolutely there for him, and I agree. That's like that's how you can reach the next level defensively is J.J. Watt stays healthy, Jordan Phillips stays healthy, and all those guys produce like they have in their careers you're talking about a serious front four, and and that's the dream, and that's the ceiling, but it's legitimate because they've all done it in their careers. You know, that's a great point. If you have Chandler Jones on one side and J.J. Watt on the other, man, talk about the forgotten man. Absolutely. Jordan Phillips can can eat. He, I mean, uh, Alecky Foto or Shard Lawrence, whoever else might be in there, uh, that's a serious opportunity to produce if you're anyone on that defensive front not named J.J. Watt or Chandler Jones. And as we've talked about, like interior pressure just messes up a pass play so fast, even if it's not a sack. The quarterback can't step up in rhythm, and then it throws the entire play off balance. So if, if J.J. Watt is playing defensive tackle – you know he's getting double teamed, which means that Jordan Phillips is probably getting a one-on-one. And if you win that, or even if you just push that guard or center back and make the quarterback uncomfortable, that can disrupt a play. So I think I'm right there with you. Jordan Phillips is a huge piece of this defense if he can reach the heights he did with Buffalo a couple years ago. The other one, Robert Alford, Jordan Phillips, and then I looked over at the offensive side of the field a few times, and I saw 87. I saw Max Williams make a nice catch. He's he's such a natural pass catcher for a tight end. He doesn't fight the football. He appears healthy. He's running free. You're like, man, if Max Williams can just stay healthy this year because you know, he is that rare dual tight end. You can count on him to make the catch and make the block, and he really is an every-down tight end if he can be an every-down health kind of guy. Totally, yeah. I think he's definitely an underrated player, and like you said, like – Almost every tight end seems to have one huge strength or the other, and Dan Arnold was the receiving tight end, and some of these other guys are pure blocking tight ends. And I think Max Williams leans toward the blocking tight end at this point in his career, but you're right. If you tell him to go run a route, he might not have this great quickness or elusiveness that Dan Arnold did, but he can run his route and he can catch the ball solidly. Like 
I don't think the Cardinals would have any issue rolling him out there and having him do either, and it really disguises your look offensively. You don't know if Max Williams is blocking or going for a route where if Dan Arnold was out there, sometimes he was split into the slot, and it it was 10 personnel a lot last year without calling it 10 personnel because Dan Arnold was technically a tight end, but he played kind of a hybrid wide receiver role. But Max Williams is definitely more of that traditional tight end, and I think he's a big piece. You're right, health permitting. I mean, there's been a lot of injuries throughout his career, and if he stays healthy, if Robert Alford stays healthy, if Jordan Phillips stay healthy, then you're talking about best-case scenario for this team. All right, so you have Max Williams. Uh, Darrell Daniels, you, you mentioned, and he, he's mainly a blocking tight end. And then what? It, it's undefined after that. You have a number of undrafted rookie free agents. You have the international player, uh, Bernhard Sykovitz. I had a th- mandatory psycho, by the way. <laughs> it was mandatory Strebelo last year. We've already come to the conclusion, mandatory psycho. Yeah. Got to get the international page views and the love from German Bird Gang and the Vienna Vikings getting all the love overseas when it comes to any sort of hashtag feel the burn when it comes to Bernhard Psychovitz. The moment I told you I think his nickname was Psycho, I just saw you light up and you haven't stopped lighting up since i still i didn't i never confirmed that his nickname was psycho i just saw that a few places doesn't matter doesn't matter no paul calvisi has written it a million times yeah well i mean you know it's uh it's like like it was some great innovation you know i mean obviously yeah so so there you go i'm pretty Uh, sure it is the question is who else will be in that room and that brings us to the fact that hey if you check your calendar june 1st has come and gone does that mean the arrival, sometime soon, tick-tock, of, oh, I don't know, a Zach Ertz, who, by the way, Kyle, I can tell you, sources telling me he's been in the Valley recently. You're like, come on, Calvisia's wife is Julie Ertz, Team USA soccer star, and she's a Mason native, and, of course, they're going to spend – no, 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 not this time of year. He typically doesn't spend time in the AZ when it's around 100 degrees. By the way, the Eagles OTAs are going on. So what does that mean? The trade speculation is in earnest right now. Supposedly a half dozen teams are in on it. And you can't tell me that the Cardinals and Zach Ertz don't consider this to be an ideal fit. Now can they figure out perhaps the trade compensation between the Eagles and the Cardinals? And maybe, just maybe, there's a former teammate swap of Jordan Hicks to the Eagles to go back to his former team and Zach Ertz to the AZ. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always big names that get bandied about and most of it doesn't make sense but I agree with you like you look at what the Cardinals need at tight end and what Zach Ertz has done in his career especially the fact that he's a receiving first tight end which you look at this roster and I don't see anybody fitting that bill that Dan Arnold did last season it all comes down like you said to to trade compensation salary I mean there's some some moving parts which make it a little bit uh, a little bit harder to figure out but yeah if you told me that the Cardinals traded for Zach Ertz sometime this offseason certainly wouldn't surprise me I think you just have to figure out is he worth the salary he's getting can he still be the player he used to be obviously a Pro Bowl tight end a very good receiving tight end so he would fit a need if you still believe he can do that sort of thing. And, yeah, I mean, the the need at tight end is so great that I'm with you. I think it makes a lot of sense. And if you believe the reports, the Eagles waited until June 1st to make the inevitable move because instead of saving $5 million, they can now save $8.5 million on the cap. So it's significant extra savings 
under the cap if they waited to post June 1st. The question now to your point is, okay, that's still a pretty big number. Even though you're talking about a tight end, like for example, who this stat over the last five seasons, most 20-yard plays among tight ends over the last five years, Travis Kelsey, number one, Gronk, number two, George Kittle, number three, Zach Ertz, number four. So yeah, he has a track record, but he also has an injury-riddled and pretty miserable 2020 season, albeit he was playing with, it was sort of like to me, A.J. Green with the Bengals. Zach Ertz was with the Eagles. You had a quarterback who just couldn't get you the ball, just couldn't get you accurate targets, and he couldn't stay healthy. A.J. Green obviously wasn't 100% last year either, but if you're looking for someone who fits the M.O., a guy who's 30, who's going to be 31 this season, with a lot of past glory on his resume, looking to resurrect things and make one last run. Zach Ertz fits perfectly with so many other signings the Cardinals have made in the offseason. Yeah, I've definitely written that a couple times this <laughs> offseason. You're right. A.J. Green, J.J. Watt are both right in that alley. And we've talked about can they revitalize their great careers here in Arizona? And we've talked about this window of time where Kyler Murray is still on his rookie contract and he's cheap. So, like we said, it all lines up. It comes down to – do they think he's still the same player? Are you okay with that salary? Is there trade compensation? Is it a game of chicken where these teams think Zach Ertz might be released and you can get him for cheaper? Or is it a trade compensation thing where the Eagles are holding out for the best possible draft pick and they're talking to a few teams? There's just there's a lot of things we're not privy to that are going on behind the scenes that are hard to figure out. Uh, so we'll see if it happens and there's, you know, we don't look at the rosters of all the other teams in the NFL, too. There might be somebody saying, we feel like Zach Ertz could help us a lot, too, and maybe that will happen. But, yeah, I mean, if you add Zach Ertz to this offense, I think it it helps it quite a bit. I, I think you, you need to get this passing game better, and adding a bona fide Pro Bowl tight end would obviously help it if he can reach that level again. Because, look, as much talent as the Cardinals might have on paper – there's still some unknowns when it comes to the passing game. A.J. Green, what's it going to be all about? Yeah, you can make a compelling case, and we have here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, that A.J. Green could be a likely candidate for NFL Comeback Player of the Year, says Frosty Rucker and others, his former teammate on the Big Red Rage. Then again, is he ever going to be the same coming off the injury? Because he wasn't last year. Christian Kirk still a conundrum still the enigma what exactly you're gonna so if you add a pass catching tight end like a Zach Ertz to go with a Max Williams at least Cliff Kingsbury has options if some of the guys you're counting on in the receiving room don't materialize yeah and I think just looking back at last year is a good example where Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray's first year they made these great strides and according to football outsiders they were number 13 I believe in offensive efficiency after being dead last with the Josh Rose and Sam Bradford team and then we thought it was going to improve because DeAndre Hopkins was coming and look at this wide receiver core of Hopkins and Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald can all of them have a thousand yards receiving that was a narrative in training camp and and by the end of it their their offense was ranked below average and it was efficient early in the season and very good at times but overall it it regressed in 2020 so that's why like you said we're tapping the brakes a little bit you look at what's on paper adding AJ Green and Rondell Moore and that's good but you got to go out there and do it I mean AJ Green to me is a big wild card will he be the guy he used to be will there be more injuries 
I mean, will Christian Kirk work out in the slot? You could see this team taking a big jump offensively or being this middling passing game again and not really reaching that um, you know, kind of peak where you want to get. And, yeah, I think adding a Zach Ertz would give you another option and give you another playmaker, and that's why, like we've been saying, I think that would be a realistic addition because of where they're at and because maybe he's the guy that can help give you somebody else on the field that will take the attention of defenses. You mentioned footballoutsiders.com. Is that, was that what you referenced there? Mm-hmm. Is, is there a site called footballoutlandish.com? <laughs> Com because uh, who exactly is responsible for the metric that rated Buda Baker as the 16th best safety in the NFL? Oh, here it is, Pro Football Focus. Now, look, uh, I'm not a hater of Pro Football Focus. Uh, Justin Pugh uh, was a spokesperson leading that charge uh, for the last couple of years until he got rated among some of the pass, best passing blocking grades in the NFL last year. So <laughs> somebody had to take that mantle, and it appears to be Buda Baker based on his Twitter feed as he was none too happy with being rated the 16th best safety in the NFL. And, Kyle, look, I know you're a numbers guy, but is there any way to defend that rating? I mean, to me, if you see Buda Baker as the 16th best safety in the NFL, you got to take your rating system. You got to put it in the garage, put it up on blocks, and you got to rebuild the engine. I'm sorry, maybe even replace the chassis because it's broken. How can you have a rating system that puts him as his 16th best safety in the NFL? Yeah, the, the, the one caveat I would say in favor of pro football focus is that we don't personally see the other teams on a consistent basis. So they were, are watching all the tape of all 32 teams. And maybe there are several safeties that are really good players that we don't see as much as we see Buddha. That being said, they they calculate their grades on coverage when the ball is thrown at you. They do the run-stopping grades, I believe, just when you make the tackle or when you're kind of around the ball. I mean, it's not an all-encompassing grading system, and that's the issue I've always had with it. If Buddha Baker does a great job in coverage and doesn't get the ball thrown at him, he doesn't get rewarded for that. It's just all the targets mm. is how they really grade it. And I think they've made strides to look about how many yards you allow in coverage on a per snap basis. But I still think the bulk of it is how you do when the ball is thrown at you. And Buda Baker's game is not just locked down corner like a Patrick Peterson. Buda Baker does a lot defensively, which isn't just charted in how did he do when the ball was thrown when he was the nearest defender? Because sometimes there will be catches and Maybe that wasn't his guy or maybe he was helping somewhere else or doing something else. And we've just seen like all the chase down tackles that he's not going to get a plus four grading wise. And I mean, the is, effort there a, plays, is, is there a better open field tackler in the NFL than Buda Baker? Right. Yeah. I, and I, I, You know, just the nature of his position. Hello, it's called a safety. He's the safety valve. Yeah. I, just to me, that that should be the one criterion that should be up near the top when it comes to waiting in this grading system. Good point, yeah. Yeah, because if you miss the tackle there, like we saw a couple years ago with Christian McCaffrey on one of the backup safeties, yep. that was a 75-yard touchdown yeah. run instead of 15 yards. And Buda Baker and even Jalen Thompson, to a lesser extent, don't give up those big runs because they are such sure tacklers. And you're right, when you're the last line of defense, it should be weighted more than a guy at the line of scrimmage where he gave up a – a four-yard gain because he missed the tackle instead of two. Like, that's not as big a deal. Um, so, yeah, I think there are some still issues with the grading, and some of it I think is is good because we understand 
where where everybody ranks in the entire NFL. So I think it's a valuable service, but there's still holes in it. And the fact that a lot of them, they haven't been able to quantify everything on a football field, which is really hard to do compared to baseball. Um, so I, I think that one missed the mark. I think he's certainly a top 10 safety, probably a top five safety for everything he does. Uh, so I, I agree with Buddha that he he should have gone off on Twitter like he did because that was some disrespect for Buddha Baker. I think it was last month NFL Films tweeted out. We retweeted it. Uh, it was Mike Tomlin mic'd up in the Steelers Cardinals game from right. two years ago, and just just Mike Tomlin's reaction over the course of the game watching Buda Baker play one of his best games. Yeah, and I remember Seattle mic'd up a couple years ago before he was a serious superstar. It was the same thing, Bobby Wagner and guys. I mean, if you talk about respect from your peers. Yeah. Buda Baker was probably the number one safety in the NFL based off everything we've heard. People just rave about the way he plays, and that's that might be the missing element to PFF where they didn't they aren't able to quantify that as well as the coaches that really know and the players that really know what he's doing on a snap to snap basis. And look, you can have your analytical formula, and there can be some anomalies. I get it, but I think where Buda Baker was legitimately insulted was in the write up. Because, and I, I scrolled it up right here, uh, PFF wrote, and I quote, Unfortunately for Buda Baker, the most memorable play of his season, and arguably his career, is getting chased down from behind by a flying DK Metcalf to prevent a defensive touchdown, but Baker is a big hitting safety who has always excelled against the run. Buda didn't take kindly to that. And he tweeted in response, quote, My most memorable play was my first interception with a big-ass thumb club on my hand. <laughs> Y'all want to talk about fingers being bleeped up. Try playing a game in pain knowing you have surgery the next day. So, look, DK Metcalf didn't just run down Buda Baker. He flew past Patrick Peterson as well. He flew past everyone on that field. DK Metcalf just ran in a heat with Olympic sprinters. So, to me, that's not a blemish or a crime where yeah. you're going the length of the field and you got caught within the 10-yard line by D.K. Metcalf. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely the most memorable play of Buda Baker's career. I don't think that's arguable. Like, everybody knows that play, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, he intercepted the ball on a drive that was a sure touchdown drive and got it back to, what, the 6-yard line, returning it that far just because he got caught from behind doesn't take away from how incredible that play was. And that's a good picture of what Buda Baker can do where thinking back and listening to him, I don't even think that was his man on that play. And he realized that they messed up the coverage show. So he shot over there and made the play, which yeah, isn't, right. isn't going to be charted in anything pro football focus does. And yeah, I mean, DK Metcalf was running at a superhuman speed and it's like, if this was Buda Baker in college and he got caught and then you're wondering, okay, will his speed translate to the NFL? Like we have that answer. Even if he's not a four, three, five guy, Buda Baker is an all pro safety. He doesn't need that speed for the way he plays. So in that one instance, it hurt him a little bit because he didn't get the touchdown. But overall, I mean, Buda Baker plays as fast as anybody defensively. It was just in that one scenario where he got caught, but that is far from a blemish, as you said. I mean, that's that was a superhuman play by Buda Baker and then DK Metcalf. 
think about what the Cardinals looked like in the one game minus Buda Baker last year right. at Carolina. It's, it's sort of akin to think of the Suns right now in their playoff run without CP3. Think of what the Suns were without Steve Nash back in the day. Steve Nash clinched his two MVPs because he missed a stretch with injury, and the Suns were a disaster without their captain and, and their point guard. That's what I think of when I think of a Buda Baker. Yeah, and and I'm thinking on the offensive side too with Kyler Murray where you can grade him – pro football focus wise on his throwing and every time he runs it, but you don't quantify how much he messes with the defense with the threat to run and what kind of what RPOs do and what play action does when he's a threat to go and opening up a defense. Like there, there are just so many moving parts in football and I do think they're trying their best and giving a legitimate shot at grading these guys. And I think it's going to get better as we get more data, but right now there's just, it's just hard to, accurately grade football players I think you get a decent window of a player it's like Buda Baker is obviously one of the best we can quibble about where he ranks at least it shows that he's a good safety but it's still not at the point where we have this great detail of exactly pinpointing how good some of these players are now speaking of now speaking of taking it the length of the field uh here's my next prop bet you ready and Kyle I gotta get you ready for this you don't realize how the world is gonna change effective September 9th <laughs> in Arizona with legalized sports gambling there are gonna be prop bets everywhere you turn okay so here's Paul Calvisi's two weeks notice in uh, okay. late August Paulie prop bet I'm Professional ready gambler I'm ready and willing here we go uh here we this is one I created I want you to answer yes or no this is the prop bet will the Arizona Cardinals in 2021 score a touchdown on a kickoff or punt return <laughs> that's a good question David Johnson was the I'm buying you some time David Johnson was the last Cardinal to score on a kickoff return that was week two 2015 at Chicago we all remember that hard to believe that's the last time they yeah. scored but you know what it's been longer since they scored a punt return touchdown that was Ted Ginn 2014 also week two if you remember against the Giants yeah so uh, you know you look at Rondale Moore, yeah. you look at some of the options, returning kicks, and you like to believe this could be the year, but history says no. Don't say yes. Say no when it comes to the prop bet. Will the Arizona Cardinals score on a kickoff or punt return for touchdown this year? Yeah, I mean, I have to look at it logically like you just ran down for me. At first, I was 50-50, but if it hasn't happened in five years, I'm definitely taking no as the answer. And at this point, kickoffs are just so hard to return. Nobody wants to do it because they get the ball at the 25. So that's almost obsolete. So it would basically be, can they return yeah. a punt? And it's certainly a better chance this season than the last couple. And Christian Kirk is a very solid catcher of the football on punts. He's not going to give you any worries about muffing a punt because he's just so natural at it. But he didn't have that dynamic punt return scare you take it to the house type ability Rondale Moore we'll see maybe he does have that and maybe you can sneak one and get there if you can that's huge and I think they want him as a receiver but that was a big conversation as we can put him at punt return so they truly believe in his punt return ability his lateral ability in addition to his top end speed so if they get that element touchdown or not even if it's even if it's a healthy gain on some punts that can help a lot Speaking of punts, did you happen to notice number 16 out at OTAs? I'm taking that as verification, confirmation that my theory of drafting a punter in the offseason, the box that was not checked, 
was finally addressed as Tyler Newsom is the new punter in town. They have brought, you know, look, once again, I thought it was a mistake in the offseason. Uh, so they try to remedy that. <laughs> uh, I'll give props to whoever on azcardinals.com found the picture of Tyler Newsom because that mustache he's rocking in the Chargers <laughs> uniform uh, makes it reminds me that effective in July when I when I go on vacation, when I pull a Darren Urban, I'm going to bring back my mustache. <laughs> of course, I should probably start now since I need a three or four week head start. But anyway, Tyler Newsom, boom, he was out there joining Andy Lee in the punting department. So clearly the the front office just is a little bit behind on Cardinals Underground and they listened to the draft week episode and right. said, good idea, we need a second punter. And here comes yep. Tyler Newsom. Uh, I mean, we, I did get questions about it. It's like, what's up with Andy Lee? I mean, Andy Lee is just fine, but he's 38. So I think you want to look, and not necessarily for this season, but get a free tryout of a young guy with some potential. You look at Andy Lee's numbers over the last four years and – they're really spectacular, and the one question would be, why did it go down a decent chunk last season? Is that age or you know natural ability? And you'll know in the offseason, I think, whether Andy Lee still has the juice in his leg, but they re-signed him, and I think there's still a lot of confidence that Andy Lee can get the job done, and Newsom, I think, will at the most try to maybe make the practice squad or make an impression to be brought back at some point, but I still feel like Andy Lee is in a, in a good spot. Do you remember just recently, was it last year? I think it was last year. I think it was 2020. ASU punter Michael Turk at the Combine. And do you remember he did 25 reps yeah. of 225 on the bench? Do you realize that Tyler Newsom out-bench-pressed Michael Turk? He did 30 reps wow. at his pro day. The punter, 6'3", 219, 30 reps of 225. That's impressive. I guess gone are the days of the the skinny little <laughs> punters, and that's like the Jay Feely stuff too. I always remembered how ripped he was. <laughs> no, don't say they, edit, uh, edit that out. We can't let Jay Jay Feely cannot get win that we've acknowledged as much. We just we can't have that. The the upper body looking good. I mean, I know they're kickers and punters, but they want to have that upper body <laughs> right. looking good too. Yeah, I'm not. Is there one position where the bench press means nothing. less <laughs> than punting? Kicking, right? I mean, yeah. what it does, it means nothing. Which, by the way, when I was looking up that, I was trying to figure out, okay, how many times did Michael Turk uh, bench press? And I was trying to confirm that stat. Do you have any idea what the all-time low, the all-time worst at a combine is by any player at any position in terms of reps of 225? Zero? Close. One rep by Fred Smoot, the cornerback, I don't know, some 10 years ago. One rep at 225. I wonder how many J.J. Nelson did back in the day. Had <laughs> to have been true. single digits. That's true. Oh, man. We always used to ask J.J. Nelson every camp in August coming off the field after one of the practice. Come on, J.J., what are you up to? Have you cracked 160? And he kind of he'd look down at his shoe tops and we're like, what are you at? He's like, 158 yeah he couldn't crack 160 the first two years bruce arians was like yeah we're gonna get him a little bit heavier and toward the end he's like nah we'll just let him run out there he just needs to be fast we don't care <laughs> how right. much he weighs and then the one time it was against the bengals in the primetime game he got caught by a defensive end That's right. remember that he had the long speed <laughs> larry never lets anybody forget anything but the hard time he gave jj nelson about being caught by a 280-something pound <laughs> defensive end, who, albeit had the angle, but yeah. still, that was no, that was an in, that was a no comprendo. Yeah. I still remember watching that. Everyone's on the field going, "Wait a minute, did that just happen? <laughs> How did JJ Nelson just get caught by that 
massive dude. Yeah, that that's your uh, that's your big skill, JJ. Yeah, run fast. There you go. It's sort of like uh, Kyler Murray wearing the knit cap out at OTAs. I, that's the other picture I love on azcardinals.com. <laughs> yeah, what is it about coaches who it's 100 degrees plus will always wear the windbreaker, the pullover jacket, just never fails. Coaches, and then in the cold weather games, those same coaches will go in shirt sleeves. Right. And then there's Kyler Murray with a knit cap, and I think it was 102 the day he pulled that off. See, at least at least the guys with the long sleeves have a good excuse because they don't they don't want the the tan where it's just on their arms and not just the sleeves. So they're just worried about sunburn and suntan. But the the knit cap, I don't know about that one. I don't know what yeah. I don't know what that does for you. I mean, uh, it's so. his look, I guess. All right. So any other takeaways, Kyle? They failed here uh, without Darren Urban to sort of be the purveyor of the direction of Cardinals Underground. Have I failed to go in a direction you anticipated or or needed me to take this? I mean, I just think it was good to see a big group of players back on the field. We didn't have it all of last offseason, and it had been trending this way with the vaccines for COVID-19 and everything getting better and improving. So, But it was it was still nice for that to happen and to kind of get back to that little bit of normalcy where we'll have a couple of weeks of players on the field. and We can debate how much it means and how much they get out of it, but – they're at least building some camaraderie and some knowledge of each other and knowing what makes each guy tick. Um, so I think that's helpful going into training camp. And then it'll obviously be full go in camp. But it's it's nice to have the players back around here after obviously last season nothing and even earlier this season not very much compared to a usual year. I'm honestly trying to remember. What does a mini camp look like again? <laughs> have they changed the rules Will there be helmets and shoulder pads during a mini camp? Will we actually get maybe the appearance, the threat of a, a little bit of contact, or is that strictly prohibited? I'm actually trying to remember after we didn't have it last year, what should we anticipate yeah. a mini camp will look like? I don't know exactly. I know it's definitely the most that they can do in the off season before training camp, but I don't exactly remember how much is involved. I'm pretty sure they wear their helmets and they can go 11-on-11, 11 11, though, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's as close as you can get to a regular practice. Obviously, it's not tackling or anything major contact, but at least you can you can learn a bit about those players. Yeah, in the trenches, we'll find out nothing. But right. to your point, we can at least get an eyeball at whether Robert Alford's moving pretty well, whether right. the, the rookie corners, if they're matched up on a DeAndre Hopkins, how do they fare? You can at least get a, a sense. And look, if you talk to players – Players claim, at least the veteran players, they know. They know by the time minicamp is done whether a guy can play or not. And for a guy like Zayvon Collins trying to learn mentally a lot of the stuff and and you can see if he's swimming in it or if he's getting it quicker. So there's definitely some upside to these two weeks. And I agree, like you've we've seen plenty of cornerbacks get released going into training camp because you can tell out there if they can cover. I mean, that's your job. And can you follow this guy around or not? And same thing with receivers. Can you get open? So it's not the end all be all by any means. And I don't want to hype up off season too much, but you can take things from it and, and some good knowledge for the coaching staff and for the front office. And we'll see if that means anything from a roster standpoint as far as corner, tight end, any other position where maybe they think they definitely need somebody or somebody stepped up enough where they feel like, all right, we feel better about this position. Hey, if I'm Vance Joseph, defensive coordinator, if I'm the inside linebackers coach, Bill Davis, I go up to Cliff Kingsbury and say, you know what, can you dial it up? Give us something really exotic. Give us something really complex. 
just throw the kitchen sink. It's a close practice. There's no prospect of anybody seeing anything or anything being you know released or put on video. The, the fans obviously aren't allowed. There can't be a leak of any sort. You know what? Dial it up and yep. let's get a gauge of where Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons truly stand. And that's the hard part, right, is he can understand the vanilla stuff, but once it starts getting crazy, can he handle the eye candy and the and the screen passes or whatever they're going to try to do to him? And that's that's huge. I agree. Where you want to show him a lot of exotic stuff now and in camp and, and see if he can handle it, and hopefully he can. And even if he can't, how does he learn from it and process it? And then when he sees it a second and third and fourth time, at that point, does he recognize it quicker? Because you can't count on seeing any of that in the preseason. Right. Everyone's going to keep it vanilla in those three preseason games. Good point. As valuable as those games are. Now, of course, you are going against New Orleans and Sean Payton. And Sean Payton <laughs> is kind of known as a guy who will be that guy in the preseason. And you know what? You kind of welcome Sean Payton being that guy if he really wants to throw some regular season stuff at you to maybe make you look bad. You know what? Bring it on because we got two rookie linebackers who need to learn on the job. Yeah, and if you're facing Taysom Hill, who's got a lot of different yeah. things he can do, that's that's right. That's a baptism by fire there a little bit. That's right, because you're going to see uh, Taysom Hill again in the regular season in the form of Tim Tebow oh, in no. week three. <laughs> so there you go. Check that box here on the Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. We got in our Tim Tebow mention. <laughs> Dare I say, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, it. look, we're an hour into it, so it really doesn't qualify as pounding the chest. But did I not say here in Cardinals Underground that Tim Tebow would lead the NFL in merch sales in July and August? Yep. I stand corrected. It'll be May, June, <laughs> July and August because he was already leading the NFL in May. And here we are in early June, and I'm sure it's tracking the same way. Tebow merch is going to sell like hotcakes, and then they're going to feature them. You watch on Hard Knocks. They haven't released this yet, have they? Because you know, you know the other reason why the Jaguars signed Tim Tebow is because the TV producers want another storyline. And supposedly, reportedly, allegedly, Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, wants Hard Knocks. So you can't tell me that the producers didn't go, hey, you know what? Mr. Owner, you know what really helped your chances is if we had a Tebow storyline to go along with this because that's going to bring eyeballs to HBO. So it's all coalescing, and it's going to happen. You got the number one overall pick, and you're going to take Trevor Lawrence because we we need you to take a quarterback, and then you're going to sign Tim Tebow. That's what they were told several months ago. That's right. Trevor Lawrence's hair and the Tebow factor. And uh, boom, there you go. That's just made for reality TV, and that is this edition of Cardinals Underground.